Good evening. Good to see everyone tonight. Uh, right before the service started, I was getting ready, and like he had some kind of secret insider info, Brother Chris Mayberry comes up to me and says, you're not going to do one of those lame New Year's Eve sermons, are you? <laughs> it's the encouraging words of a brother that really lighten the Christian walk. It, uh, it makes you feel good. No, we're, uh, I appreciate Chris, and I appreciate when he gives me a hard time, too. But yes, I am going to do one of those lame New Year's Eve sermons, if you want to call it that. I just have a few thoughts that I want to bring tonight as we end one year and enter another. And in some ways, it feels kind of arbitrary. We say, well, this is just a day like any other, and tomorrow will be a Monday morning just like any other. Some of us are off work. But I think it does matter to an extent the way that our, our years roll on. And when we come to a New Year's Eve like this one, we think back on uh, the year that's behind us, what we've accomplished, maybe the good things that have happened, maybe some bad things that have happened, people we've lost maybe new family members that we've, we've gained. And so there's a lot that we can think about what's behind us. But of course, we, if I turn my thing on here, with, with all that's behind us and the things that we're happy about that came before, we're also happy for the next year, right? We're excited for 2024 and uh, all of the potential good things that can happen in the upcoming year. Maybe you're like me, you're already thinking about some of the things that you want to do uh, in the year 2024. And I was looking online to kind of see uh, what the most common New Year's resolutions are, things that people are already thinking of taking up in the year 2024. Of course, this is the big one, right? Uh, this is one that I myself have been considering for a little bit here. You know, the bathroom scale, we look at it and we say, you know what, when that new year starts, I'm really going to make a change, right? I'm going to do better, I'm going to eat better, I'm going to work out maybe, uh, and I'm going to make a change when it comes to my health, maybe to my weight, and that's something that, that some people might recommend that you do. Uh, finances are a big one, right? Well, after the new year's over, I'm going to change the way that I spend, I'm going to hit the drive through less, I'm going to try to make some frugal decisions, and maybe I'll get my finances in order, and that's, that's a good thing to do, but if you wanted to be super spiritual, right, so I'm going to trick you, you thought maybe I was going this direction, but I'm not going that direction, I'm going another direction, if you wanted to be super spiritual, though, you might even say Bible reading, right, next year my Bible reading, uh, I'm going to do a lot better about reading the Bible, uh, I'm going to make sure I spend time every day in God's Word, daily time in prayer, all of those things, and that's that's wonderful. I think you should definitely do that. I think any way you could improve your life in the next year is good. But I'm not going to tell you what to do in 2024 tonight. I don't think I'm wise enough or experienced enough to tell you what you should do in 2024 or whatever plans that you have. Instead, I, I want to go a little bit of a different direction. Tonight, I, I just want to give you three pieces of perspective to keep in mind no matter what you do in 2024, no matter what direction your life takes. Uh, maybe you're graduating in 2024. Maybe you're getting married in 2024. Maybe you've got a baby on the way. Maybe you're going to have a new job. All kinds of different things you could do in your life. But no matter what you do, for all of us here, I just have three pieces of, of perspective that I think will help us as we move forward into the next year. Things to think about that can kind of keep us in our proper place uh, as we move forward. So the first one that I want to give you is this. The first piece of perspective is that you aren't the main character, and that's okay. Now give me a minute to explain what I mean by that. We live in a society today that is largely centered on the idea of self 
care. This is something that is preached to us and sold to us through social media, through TV advertisements. Uh, I, I would say that I think that women are maybe targeted slightly more with this, but I think it's everyone to an extent. This idea of self-care, the idea that you just don't take enough time for yourself, you don't uh, take care of your needs or your mental health or to make sure that you have what you want, and so uh, you need to spend some time in that self-care to make sure that you're getting what you need. And I think that there's a, a good version of this i think if a person is uh, spending no time taking care of themselves they're not spending any kind of thought for themselves that's not necessarily a good thing but what i worry about is that we live in a world where self-care kind of can sometimes can be a veiled uh, permission to selfishness self-care can quickly turn into selfishness i think there's a biblical version of loving yourself and taking care of yourself that we can see in verses like these leviticus 19 you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We all know the golden rule, but what is the implication of the golden rule? Love your neighbor as yourself. Do that correctly, you have to do what? Love yourself. To an extent, right? Not in a bad way, but you have to love yourself in the way that you would like to be treated well. The same thing in Ephesians chapter 5 to husbands. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. In the Bible, there's a certain understanding that you should want to take care of yourself. You should be interested in your own interests, right? And, and your own well-being in that way. But these things can take a very dark turn, there's an article that was written in the year 2021 by an editor at The Atlantic, and her name was Honor Jones. The article was called, How I Demolished My Life, the subtext there, a home improvement story. Honor Jones decided that even though that she was married, that she uh, had a house in uh, New York State, they had a little bit of land that went along with it. They had a housekeeper that came and cleaned their house during the week. She had a husband that she'd been married to for years. They had three small children, and she just decided it's not what she wanted anymore. She decided she needed to make a move to help herself, so she divorced her husband. She entered a, uh, I forget what the, the word was here, lo, uh, a low custody arrangement with her children to where she could see her kids when she wanted to, but she wasn't responsible for their well-being in any way. And she went off and got a small apartment, and, and she says in the article, who knows what I'll do next? Maybe I'll do drugs. Maybe I'll have sex with a woman. Who knows what I'll do? But now it's me. And when my husband asked me, was it worth destroying your life over? I didn't have an answer for him. But what I know is I'm choosing myself, and that's what matters. Miss Jones, when you look at her story, she believes that she is the main character of the universe. Because she was bored. She was bored with her good life. She was bored with her family. So she decided to change it up. But what she doesn't realize is that she is not the main character. Over the Christmas holiday, maybe you watched a, a classic movie. I know several people like to watch the Harry Potter movies over the holidays. There's no question looking at the movie poster who the main character of the Harry Potter movies is, right? Who is it? Harry Potter, right? What about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Who's the main character of that? Well, that would be Indiana Jones, right? Well, it's so easy for us as we look at our life around us with all the things that go on that happen, all of our struggles and all of our desires and the things we want, we can start to believe that we are the main character of the universe, that everything revolves around us. But in reality, when we look at the world, the world is a big place with a lot of people, with a lot of needs, with a lot of things going on. There are people going through struggles, the likes of which you have never understood. Battles with health, 
battles with poverty, battles within their family, things that they are struggling against day in and day out, and the history books will never know about it. No one will ever know. There are struggles going on in your life that seem huge and are are very important. I don't want to degrade the importance of them, but in the grand scheme of things, it just happens. We all go through struggles. We all go through hard times. There's times when I'm in traffic, not, not like this, one, this is in Europe, but two, you know, the, the traffic's going the wrong way in this picture. But I'm in Cookville at times during the busy hours and driving, and I just think about all the people in the cars around me, and I think, you know, all of these people, to them, the things going on in their life are the most important thing. Just like in my life, the things going on with me are the most important thing to me. Everybody's got a story, right? But the problem is when we start to think that everything revolves around us and our problems, and that's simply not the case. I think about John the Baptist. John was a a prophet. He was the last really in the line of prophets coming out of the Old Testament who was making clear the way for Jesus. And he had a successful ministry. He was preaching and baptizing on the banks of the Jordan. And when Jesus came around, some of John's disciples started to get really leery about it. They said, do you know that this man and his disciples are baptizing? That he's gaining a following himself? But John understood that he was not the main character of the story. He wasn't even the main character of his story. He said, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Who was the main character of John's story? It's the same main character of your story and my story, or should be. It's Jesus Christ. He's the main character of the story. It reminds us of the words of Paul in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus is the one that at the end of time, the story of history will come to its pinnacle when Jesus Christ descends from heaven and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord and King of the world. That's where everything's heading. My life can be spent living in honor of that, pointing to him, and it can still have all my problems, it can still have all of my ambitions and the good that happens and the bad that happens, but it's helpful to remember that no matter what happens to me, my life is living for his kingdom's sake. That's who I'm looking toward, and when we keep that piece of perspective in mind, it makes our own problems, while no less important to us, puts them kind of in perspective, doesn't it? Those things will pass, he will help us with them, God will be with us, But we don't have to be the main character. We can let Jesus have his place and understand ours. But on the other hand, I don't want to to leave you with a sermon thinking, well, I'm just not as important as I thought I was. Apparently, I don't mean as much as I thought I did. And that's not true because the second piece of perspective is that we have a father that cares and a savior that knows our name. Because, again, at times we have the opposite problem. We don't think of ourselves as the main character. Rather, we feel like we're just a face lost in an endless crowd. I want you to imagine the Judgment Day scene. Imagine the scene at Judgment Day where every soul that has ever lived will stand before the throne of God. Can you imagine God, I'm just being honest, can you imagine God looking out in the crowd and seeing you important and going, Oh, Sean Gentry. Hey, Sean. 
with the billions of people, right? That doesn't sound right. Why would God notice me? And sometimes we feel that way even in our own lives. We're just one of the millions. God doesn't think about me. God doesn't know about me. Maybe we don't think anybody thinks about us. You know, I think about all the people that struggle with loneliness. People that feel like nobody cares about them. We just got through the Christmas season, which is a time of great joy for lots of people, but for almost equal measure, I think about those in nursing homes, those whose family have passed on, they have no one left. People that feel the crushing weight of loneliness, that feel that they are truly alone and that no one really even cares that they exist or about their problems. I think that this is the desire that we all truly have in our hearts. We, we live in a world that's full uh, of introverts and extroverts. We have people people and we have people that are fine if they don't see any people. But I think deep down, no matter what your interests are or what your ambitions are, one of our greatest needs as humans is to know and to be known. We want to feel close to someone. We want someone to be honest with us and bear themselves and give themselves to us. And we also want to be known. We want that person to care about us. We want to share ourselves with them. We want to have that relationship. Yes, it can happen in a romantic sense in marriages, but I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about relationships with people that you know and care about. But some people feel that they don't have that. They feel that they don't have anybody. But the fact of the matter is we have a God and Father that knows us better than anyone else in the world. Think about the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. You know, that's one of those statements that you either believe that or you don't. But Jesus says that the sparrows, the birds that are sold for a penny to a pop, God knows them and does not ignore even one falling to the ground. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. God knows you. I think we can say that in a general sense about all people. If you are a human being, God knows you. And in a sense, he loves you and cares for you. There's a difference between the love of God for standard mankind and that for his children, those who are in his son. But God knows everyone and he loves everyone more than really any other human could. I think it's comforting to me when we think about, again, the day of judgment, when we worry about people or people's best interests, or will, will God really get it right on that day, we should remember the fact that God knows you better and loves you more than anyone ever could. There is nobody on the day of judgment that I would rather have in that judgment seat than God Almighty. I don't want my mama on the day of judgment. I think she'd let me in. But I want God Almighty. He loves me more than she does. He knows me better than she does, and he is going to get it right. But not only a God and Father that loves us, but also a Savior that is on our side. In Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then later in verse 34, he says, Who is to condemn? He said there's no condemnation. Now he says, Well, who's going to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. 
I can't really comprehend the idea that Jesus Christ would say the name Titus Anderson into the ear of God the Father. But the Bible tells me that it must happen if I am in him. If I'm in Christ, he knows me, he intercedes on my behalf. And it's amazing because when we think about Jesus being on our side, a lot of times we think, well, the only time Jesus likes me is when I'm perfect. When I don't sin, when I never make any mistakes, that's when he likes me, that's when he's telling God that I'm all good. But why would Jesus be interceding for someone who never makes a mistake? Why would Jesus be interceding for a sinless person? No, he's on our side even when we mess up. It happens a lot. I do it a lot. But he loves us so much that he loves us in spite of our imperfections, in spite of our sin. If we're in him, there's no condemnation. And so even though we're not the main character of the universe, that's okay because we have a father that loves us and a savior that knows our name. Finally, I want to talk for just a second about what you really want and need. I'm really looking forward to 2024. I'm so excited about the year. I've got a couple big things coming up. Number one, we've got baby number three on the way. I don't think I'm as excited as my wife for him to make his appearance. She's ready for him to be evacuated uh, and to be here breathing air with us. And so we're excited about having Jonas with us for sure. We're building a house right now, and I hope man, I would love by December of next year to be in our house. We're, we're working on building it, and it's, it's going good. But those are some exciting things that are on the table. And I'm sure you have your own forms of excitement that you're looking forward to in 2024. But I know one thing for sure. The most important moments of my life and your life will not happen in the calendar year 2024. Now, that's, again, making an assumption. I don't know that we'll ever see 2024. Jesus could come in the next five minutes. We may say 2023 is it, and we'll go on to be with him. But if we see 2024 and 2025 or 2035 or 2055, it won't be within those calendar years that the most important moments happen. Because we, we look forward to something bigger than the birth of a new child or, or moving into a new house. We understand in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now we read a verse like that and it's hard for us to really put into words because let me say this, it's easy for us to talk about a new baby being born. If you have a baby on the way, people love to talk about that. If you got you know, the crib put together yet, you know, what color is the room going to be, it's easy to talk about that. If you're moving into a new house, where you're doing siding, or you're doing brick, or, or you're doing shingles or metal on the roof, that's easy to talk about. But this eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison is not an easy over-coffee conversation. I don't come to you guys after morning service and say, hey, have you considered the eternal weight of glory before us lately? You go, hmm, that, that's kind of weird, Titus. Let's not talk about that right now. We, we believe it. We like it. But at the same time, that I'm with you in that it's hard for us to talk about that. But yet, we have to at least take moments where we remember that all the things that are happening in our life are pointing towards something greater than anything else, something that we look forward to as we look forward in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I think about this time back to the previous point of knowing and being known. We know that there's a day coming where we have our relationships here and we love each other. And I think there's not a moment of love that we share with each other 
within the church, within our families, that's going to be wasted. But we know that's going to get even better. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. There's a day coming where we will be closer to God than we've ever been, but I believe we'll also be closer to each other than we've ever been. That's what lies ahead of us, and that's what's sitting at the end of all the earthly relationships that we look forward into carrying into our home in heaven. Eternity is a gigantic topic to consider. It's something that we really can't spend every day mulling over because if we did, our brains would explode. We probably wouldn't get anything done. But at the same time, we have to keep it in our minds constantly that we don't just live for today or we don't just live for tomorrow or we don't just live for 2024. We're living for eternity. C.S. Lewis, who's one of my favorite authors, he gave a sermon in 1942 called The Weight of Glory. That's what it was titled later. If you'll indulge me, he can speak a lot better than I can. I want to read an excerpt of what he said in that lesson because I think it deals well with our interaction thoughts with eternity and what lies before us. He said, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. In speaking of this desire for our own far-off country, which we find in ourselves even now, I feel a certain shyness. I'm almost committing an indecency. I'm trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you, the secret also which pierces with such sweetness that when in very intimate conversation the mention of it becomes imminent, we grow awkward and affect to laugh at ourselves, the secret we cannot hide and cannot tell, though we desire to do both. There is a deep desire in each and every one of us for something more than what this world can offer. It's not easy to talk about. It's not light conversation, but it's there. And we want something more than what this world can give us. He goes on to say, appropriately, Meanwhile, the cross comes before the crown, and tomorrow is a Monday morning. It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that glory of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you meet now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. You see, what he's done is he's moved the thought of eternity from thinking of our eternity to thinking of the eternity of who? Everyone else in this room. Not just everyone else in this room, but everyone else that we meet in our day-to-day lives. Our family, our co-workers, our friends. He says, maybe one could think too often of your own glory, but what about that of your friends? What will they look like in eternity? 
Will they again be a creature that lives among the God of light, or will they live in the deepest, darkest parts of hell? He says, all day long we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. I underline that because I think it's the money part of the quote. Everyone we come in contact with will go to one of two places. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, and we do. We have our enjoyment. We enjoy each other's company. But our merriment must be of that kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously as we enter 2024 i think in my mind about the fact that god has put eternity into the heart of man he's he's made us want something more than what this life can offer because he is ready and willing to offer us that which we want more than anything else a home with him a relationship with him not only for us for our families and for our friends and for all those that will obey him And submit themselves to his will. And so tonight, again, three pieces of perspective for 2024. One is that you may not be as hot as you think you are. You may not be as important as you think you are. But that's okay because you're important to God. And God cares about you. And if you're in his son, his son intercedes for you. And finally, remember that no matter what happens in the next year, that what we want more than anything is a relationship and a home with God.